Welcome to the Health on Track podcast. Let's talk well-being. What does well-being mean to you? Well-being for me means that I have the right tools and the right mindset to position myself in a place where I get to thrive. Well-being to me is spending time with my friends or going out on a long drive. Having a trusted circle of people who I can be myself with and talk freely to. For me, it's work-life balance. I can say that the well-being equal for me is my family and my parents. Uh, to spend the time with the family, I believe this is the, uh, the most significant thing for every single body uh, in the life. Welcome to the first episode of the Health on Track podcast. We're here to offer you a shot of wellness. I'm Yasmin, and I'm the Member Engagement and Communications Manager at GIG Gulf. Today, we'll be introducing the concept of well-being, and I can tell you right now that it goes far beyond just yoga or meditation. Joining me today is Victoria Baverstock, the founder and chief well-being officer of InSync, boasting an impressive 30 years of experience in health and well-being. Victoria is passionate about raising awareness of holistic well-being to promote a healthy lifestyle, with particular emphasis on the impact of mental health and burnout in the workplace. Thank you so much, Victoria, for being here with us today. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's an absolute pleasure to join you today. So we asked some people, uh, some colleagues in our company, what well-being means to them. And uh, we got different answers. Some said uh, spending time with family. Some said uh, just, you know, alone time doing something that they enjoy. But um, can you tell us what the actual definition of well-being is? Uh, well, that's a really good question. And I'm sure as you've asked uh, lots of people, you've probably got some some very different and very varied responses. And I think it's fair to say that there actually isn't one definition of well-being because it, it's very subjective. But most organisations and wellness experts agree that it's really about how we how we show up in life and how well we're, for want of a better word, thriving. So the higher our levels of well-being, the better we're able to cope with with life's ups and downs. So. Um, all of us uh, have the, our bad days at work, we have our troubles with our families, and the higher our levels of well-being, the higher our levels of resilience. And there are lots of different pillars of well-being. Again, if you Google well-being, you'll see lots of pillars ranging from four to eight different pillars. But really, it's about what's working for us as an individual. And it's very subjective. And it also evolves as we do, as we go through different stages of life. So what would you say are the pillars that provide a holistic approach to well-being? So there are, there are generally sort of um, agreed pillars of well-being. So it's things like our, our physical well-being, which is an area that, that most people tend to think of first when they think about their well-being. So it's our ability to move, how often we move, how easily we move. Social well-being, which is becoming more and more important, and there's a lot more research emerging in this area. So what are our connections like? How many connections do we have with, with family, with colleagues, with friends? Financial well-being, certainly in the Middle East, it's, it's one of the wealthiest areas in the world, but it actually has a lot of, of people living with, with personal debt, which can have an impact on our well-being. So it affects our, our mental health, our stress levels. 
Things like our environment as well has, has a big impact on our well-being. So how much time we, we spend in nature. So for those people that are predominantly office-based, depending on the layout of the office, the lighting, the temperature, really has an impact on our, on our well-being spiritual well-being and that's not to be confused with with our religious beliefs but how spiritual our practices are do we spend time in reflection in meditation for those that follow a, a religion so do we spend time praying so there's lots of different what we call pillars of well-being that go up to make a, a holistic level for for each individual and i think it's really important that there is there's no one size fits all so it's very much depending on on us as a person and our stage in life yeah it's amazing that i mean now that i'm listening to you you're saying that all, all these um, different pillars such as financials and spiritual well-being uh, usually when we think health, we start thinking about just doctors or hospitals and, and you know, that kind of treatment. Uh, but well-being is much more deep and complex than that. So can you tell us what the relation is between health and well-being? Why, why do we always say health and well-being? Yeah, right. They're always used very interchangeably, aren't they? Yeah. And again, there's, there's lots of different opinions on this. And what the way I sort of I like to break things down into really simple terms, especially there's so much information um, out there today. But usually when we think about health, we think about an absence of disease. So something like a chronic disease or um, a long term condition. That's really what we, we think of when we when we think about our health. But our well-being is is health is an aspect of that, but it covers so many different areas. So I think it's just something that we we tend to use health and well-being because they they are interchangeable, but they're certainly not mutually exclusive. So for example, I see a lot of people that they they run iron they take part in Ironman competitions, they run marathons, and you would expect that their well-being would be really high. But that's not necessarily the case because that's just one aspect of, of well-being. If their, their mental well-being is quite poor, if their financial well-being is quite low, that really detracts from their overall sense of well-being. So health is a part of well-being, but it isn't the, the, the only aspect that would denote how high our well-being would be. So would you say that well-being is like the umbrella uh, of, of different things and then health is just one of the pillars under that umbrella? It is, it is. And I, I like to think of, if you think of a, an orchestra, for example, so if one instrument plays out of, out of tune, the whole orchestra sounds off. So you could have the, the most um, amazing musicians in an orchestra, but if, for example, one violinist plays a wrong note, it makes the whole orchestra sound bad. So if we think of that in terms of our well-being, so if our physical health is, is poor or is at a low level, then of course it affects our overall well-being. But it, it isn't mutually exclusive on its own. So we would, for a high level of well-being, so when I work with, with individuals and organisations, we look at the, the whole, the holistic picture of well-being. And there's obviously certain things that we can do to elevate all of those areas so we have a higher overall level. I really like that example you used about the orchestra. I mean, it, it really, I mean, once you said it, I could really picture that if just one is off, then the whole, the whole piece of music then just sounds weird. So yeah, it's a very good example. 
Thank you. It is, and it's, it's, I always like to, again, when I work with sort of individuals, it's, it's about balance. So if we think of the pillars and whatever resonates with us, whether we're focusing on our financial, our physical, our emotional, what we're always striving for is as far as possible is a balance of all of those components. And that's when we look, when we see a high level of, of well-being, which gives us greater resilience in life. What activities would you recommend for us that um, are sort of necessary in our lives to maintain our well-being? It's a re really good question. And I would say it's very personal. So if we almost take the, the for granted, which is that we need to move, we need to hydrate, we need to sleep. But then if we take it sort of down to a deeper level, it's really what works for us. So again there's so much information out there to walk 10,000 steps a day and to sleep seven to nine hours um, every evening and to, to meditate to have mindfulness practices but sometimes that's just not practical for people so what i always ask and and say to, to clients is do what is is sustainable for you in the long term so hydrate obviously so build that into your routine so for example your morning routine we pretty much all get up we do the same thing we shower we brush our teeth have a glass of water by the side of of your your place where you're brushing your teeth or by the side of your bed so you incorporate these practices into your daily routines i really we all need to move more but when we think about exercise for example and I hear so often exercise regime, and I don't know about you, but when I hear exercise regime, it, it doesn't really make me want freak, to do- It freak out a little bit. It, it is. So I would say, look, just move. So incorporate movement into your day. So look at if you're driving to work, it's you know a bit of a cliche, but try to park a little bit further away from, from where your place of work is. So you're building a bit more movement in. If you're office space and, and you work at a desk, set reminders on your on your phone, on your wearable devices to, to move every 45 minutes. And it can be really simple, like five minutes of, of stretching, walk around the block or walk around your, your home. I, what I really like to do when I'm, I'm working uh, from home is I just put on a YouTube video for five or 10 minutes. So you get some variety because for me, the most important thing is it has to be sustainable. I think some of, uh, certainly in workplaces, there's lots of um, activities like step challenges, but what we want is to incorporate this into our lifestyle so it becomes a behavior, a long-term behavioral lifestyle. And that really is something that is, is personal to everyone. I love that you said that because it gets a bit overwhelming. I mean, we hear all these things like, okay, you have to walk 10,000 steps a day. And then when you start thinking about that, and then you're like, okay, so I'm only able to walk 7,000 steps. It's like, so, so what do I do? I mean, how, how do I get these 3,000 steps? And then it becomes a bit, it's, it's pressure. that, And then it sort of negates the concept of well-being because you don't want to end up pressuring yourself for the sake of your well-being. It really does. And and I think there's there's so much technology that's available to us today. So all of the, the wearable devices and the apps. So there's a lot of gamification. But the flip side of that, as you said, is if, for example, you set your tracker to um, track you for 10,000 steps every day, if your if your circles don't sort of meet in yeah. the in the middle, um, if you don't get your full circle, it can add a pressure. So what I would say to people is, is use these devices, but also 
anything that you do is is great so and research is is changing all the time there's there's been some recent research that has emerged that that actually 2000 steps a day is really good for us so i think take the pressure off of each other and and make it fun and make it something that we we really want to do to to feel well and i think going back to well-being it's it's about thriving in life it's about what are our our levels of overall well-being and, and moving and hydrating getting really good quality sleep having really good social connections are all really important but let's not put too much pressure on ourselves because then we'll see our, our mental and our emotional well-being start to decline. Yeah, so um, if someone were to just, after listening to this episode, decide that, okay, I'm gonna start my well-being journey, what, what do you recommend for them to start by doing? Because obviously we don't wanna put like um, some hard targets for them. We just wanna say what, what easy stuff they can sort of just start doing right away or incorporate in their day-to-day -day lives. I would always ask people to look at what do you enjoy doing and because I think again we have as you said there's so much information around walk for 10,000 steps and obviously our nutrition make sure that we eat a nutrient-dense um, diet but that's not sustainable if we're not enjoying what we're doing so think about what I always say to people think what back to when you were a child, what did you really enjoy doing? You know, most of us played games when we were children, we were playing outside in nature. What did you really enjoy? Um, and I'll, I'll just give you a, a, an example. I used to love playing tennis as a, as a child, but I didn't do that as an adult because I got into the gym and, and that kind of culture. But then when I started to play tennis again, I found that I really maintained that rather than thinking, oh, I need to go to the gym today and I need to get my four sessions in. Whereas when you're doing something you really enjoy, you're much more likely to, to maintain that. Drinking water. So you can either track that through an app, make it fun, have a, have a, a community group so you can hold each other accountable for, for drinking water and staying hydrated. So I think the key is keeping it fun, keeping it lighthearted, but also realizing that it does make a, a real difference to your levels of well-being. That really resonates with me, you know, because I always like um, when I would start going to the gym, then I would feel like, this is too much. I mean, it's it's just gets a bit boring, you know, lifting weights and walking on a treadmill. And then, but when I start replacing that with walking in a park or just um, doing a dance class or something, then it becomes much more interesting and much more sustainable and even enjoyable. Absolutely. And also to mix it up as well. I mean, just things such as gratitude and kindness. People wouldn't necessarily think of that those acts as something that will contribute to our well-being. But there's a lot of research that shows the, the impact of, for example, doing one good deed a day. It, it lowers our inflammatory markers. It protects us against cardiovascular disease. So something like that, if you think, okay, I don't maybe have the time or the energy to do 5,000 steps, 6,000 steps a day, do a good deed. You're already lowering your inflammation in the body. You're, you're protecting your heart against cardiovascular disease. So it's really looking at those, those variety of activities that we can do as well, that, that it doesn't, as you said, become boring. Yeah, true. So um, let's, let's look at the other side of that now. So uh, what are some things that we can, can be doing on, um, 
in our daily lives that are harming our well-being without us being aware or realizing it? It's a really good question. And I see this a lot with, with, with clients, with, with individuals and organizations. And for me, it really comes down to, to our mindset. So what are those, what are those self-limiting beliefs that we're are almost running on a script in the background? Things like, I'm, I'm just not sporty, or, or I'm, a, I'm someone that always feels stress. That our, our, our mindset and our thoughts inform our actions. So if we're constantly telling ourselves that I don't enjoy exercise, I don't enjoy going to the gym, or I'm really stressed, you'll find that actually that will inform your behaviors. So if we strip all of that back and look at what are those thoughts that are, I think we have around 65,000 thoughts a day, but really noticing those thoughts, what are we telling ourselves in terms of our, our own well-being and, and what kind of person we, we believe we are? So once we start to challenge those thoughts, that actually starts to make a real difference to our, to our well-being. I think it's also about a bit of balance. I mean, so if you start just overwhelming yourselves with, I need to do this and this and this and this, and then it just becomes too much. Whereas if you sort of have these um, reasonable, achievable targets that you just incorporate within your day, then it's easier to follow that journey without, you know, stopping or pausing or getting exhausted somewhere in the middle. Absolutely. And it's also about feeling good. Um, whatever we do, it should feel good. Obviously, when we're, when we're starting, if we haven't had a, sort of a movement factoring in our lifestyle for a while, then naturally it's going to feel a little bit uncomfortable to start with. But overall, whatever we're doing should feel good. It should feel fun and we should want to do it as part of our lifestyle. I think what we know in terms of behavioral change is that being told to do something doesn't necessarily mean we're going no. to do it. And, and we see that with um, no disrespect to my medical colleagues, but doctors wagging their fingers no, saying, that's you true. must, you must, doesn't actually impact our behavior in any way at all. In fact, a lot of research says that that can actually have quite a negative impact. So I think what we what we do during our days should be should be lighthearted. It should be fun, but with an, with the knowledge that this is contributing to our overall well being. So overall, we need to just at the end of the day, we just ha it's about feeling good. So we need to feel good about what we're doing. Absolutely, I will caveat that with that if it feels good to have burger and chips five nights. Well, <laughs> that's too good then. <laughs> so, so with the knowledge that we know we need to eat, for example, a nutrient dense um, diet. So we can make it fun. We can look at how many colors can we get on our plate. So it's incorporating things like that, that we know that we need to take care of, of our physical well-being, our emotional well-being and, and all of those other pillars. But let's make it fun, let's incorporate it into our daily life so it becomes sustainable and a lifestyle rather than a period of time which we, we know doesn't change behavior. Yeah, so we, we don't wanna be looking at it as a chore that, oh, I have to go to the gym and then Absolutely. it just becomes that negative a bit. Absolutely, yeah. And, and with, with well-being, again, because it's, it's such a vast area and it is very subjective, so it really, you know, what works for, for your friend, for your spouse, for your colleague at work, won't necessarily work for you. So what I always encourage people to do is, is really take a, a, a look at what makes you personally feel good. 
and and build from there and and read read the 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 research and and get the apps and the wearables but make sure that it really works for you because that's what will lead to long-term change okay so um then this i'm just going to take us to our last question um I think a lot of people have an issue with um, sustainability or consistency. So you you start all motivated and hyped up and I'm going to do this and I'm going to be healthy and I'm going to work out two to three times per week. And then you find yourself losing motivation somewhere down the road. Uh, what would your advice be to, to prevent that from happening? always look for and I think you're right and, and I'm certainly guilty of that myself and I think when I when I look sort of at the reasons for, for doing whatever this activity is it's it's what's motivating me to do this and if it is someone wagging their finger and saying you know you really should move more you should drink more water that really isn't going to motivate me long term for example I work with a, a lot of families and a lot of parents want to be around for their children. They want to be able to move and play sports with their children. So that's what we call intrinsic motivators. And that tends to be the real sort of change point where people start to really incorporate these lifestyle changes long term. So, for example, maybe someone wants to, to stop smoking, having a spouse, a doctor say, you need to stop smoking, it's not good for your health, won't necessarily make someone stop. Well, they'll maybe stop temporarily, but not long term. Yeah. But if, for example, they're training for maybe a 5K or a 10K, or they're noticing that they're just getting out of breath a lot more regularly, they're much more likely to start to, to cut down and eventually stop smoking because it's something that they want to do for themselves not for other people and and i think that's really key whatever we do it's like oxygen mask on ourselves first do it for ourselves and for our own motivation and naturally that will have an effect on our families and our colleagues on our on our friends uh, thank you so much victoria for all your insights i'm sure you've uh, you've given us a lot of recommendations on how we can start our well-being journey and and actually stay on it not just you know because we listen to a podcast episode and then we want to start being uh, taking care of ourselves? No, but you've actually told us how we can stay on that journey. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Our next episode is about workplace connections. We'll be joined by a workplace culture expert to shed some light on the elusive concept of good versus bad workplace cultures. Don't forget to tune into our next episode. We're available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Until next time, stay well and keep thriving.